Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to another episode of Life Behind Bars, the Daily Beast podcast. I'm Noah Rothbaum. Joining me today is my co-host, Dave Wondrich. Hey, Noah. How are you doing? All right. Uh, we should talk about drinks, I suppose. Absolutely. And today, uh, a subject uh, near and dear to both of our hearts, uh, bar culture and bartending in uh, the Midwest and Chicago and, and Detroit, uh, two, uh, two wonderful cities that... Uh, I, I think both of us have been in in the last couple of weeks. I was just in Chicago on Wednesday, and uh, we were in Detroit a couple of weeks ago. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, there are so many great Midwestern cities, uh, especially uh, traveling around the country now. Uh, I used to travel around in the 80s, and uh, all those cities were struggling pretty hard, except for maybe Chicago, and now they're not struggling at all, or at least they don't seem to be. They seem to be kind of booming and uh coming back like very fast and uh and, and i think especially with drink and, and yeah. restaurants and bars there's a real vibrancy and kind of a, an excitement that uh, you know you sort of it maybe rivals or exceeds some of the big cities the bigger cities you said new york or la or absolutely uh, there's a there's a sense of uh, kind of newness and discovery not really uh, so jaded as you as you might find yeah and uh, you know it's i don't know it's it's an interesting thing to to see all of these different bar cultures, you know, sort of almost reawakening and, you know, drawing upon, you know, their deep roots, you know, like they're such mm-hmm. deep bar roots in, in, in so many of these cities. There are, oh, absolutely. But, you know, it's interesting. They're both for both of the, we'll take just Detroit and Chicago yeah. as an examples because those were the two biggest industrial powerhouses of the, of the Midwest, the cities that really uh, came roaring into the 20th century and were just, Huge brawling powerhouse cities, like I said, uh, belching smoke and uh, yeah, building cars and all that kind of stuff. Upton Sinclair's, uh, yeah. may, maybe not the most appetizing uh, <laughs> no. view well. of, uh, of Chicago, but, uh, but one that uh, you know certainly put it on the map. Yeah, and, and, and it's it's funny, you know, you look back at the history of the of, of these cities, and like they were both founded pretty much as trading posts, and when you have trading posts, you've got booze. Yeah, I mean, right at the beginning, you know, that's one of the things that people come to get, uh, I think, and you I think get that, that rules all around the world. I oh mean, yeah, you see that oh, yeah. you know any port city where you know is always yep. uh, booze follows trade, booze follows sailors. You know, in 1788, when Detroit was uh, just barely English, they had taken it from the French. Uh, it was just a little post there. Uh, there was a British officer who kept a journal, and he mentioned on Queen's Day. Uh, a group of 38 people, he said, drank 100 bottles of Madeira besides <laughs> porter and rum. And then he says, I only mention this to show what the Detroiters are. Right. 
<laughs> for they drank the same everywhere, you know, and every day. It sounds like a good party. Yeah, it sounds does. Like a great party. Uh, I think your head would probably hurt, but uh, it, it's funny, you know. So they were already pretty hard drinking in yeah. Chicago, the same. But it's interesting with both of these cities, like cocktail culture, it never fully developed like yeah. it did. Uh, the you know the great American cocktail cities are New York, of course, just because of size and uh, and density. Uh, San Francisco because. Uh, of money and the gold rush yeah. and just being very sporty and new Orleans because of its unique culture yeah. and Chicago, Detroit, maybe a little behind. I mean, but it may be more of like a whiskey cities or, and certainly beer cities. Yeah, you know, absolutely. A lot of, I mean, I think part of it also is, you know, the number of, you know, German immigrants, uh, other immigrants from Eastern Europe where they're coming from cultures of heavy spirit consumption and beer consumption. So maybe cocktails, you know, that was, Something that. Well, yeah, I, I think I think that's right. I mean, there are a lot of famous bartenders, for instance, who went through Chicago. Uh, Jerry Thomas, you know, the great pioneering bartender, uh, went through there when he was uh, tra- doing his travels yeah. around the country, but he didn't really settle there. Harry Johnson, the the the, the dean, as he's known these days of uh, 19th century bartenders, very detail oriented man, uh, wrote. The, the the great bar operation manual of the day. He was there for a while. Was that to one-up Jerry Thomas, who was the professor that he yeah, was the dean? Yeah, I think dean? it was, uh, yeah. Well, Jerry Thomas, I think uh, Harry Johnson probably thought was a bit of a joker who didn't right. work very hard. I'm waiting for you to find the provost, you know. The, <laughs> yeah. you know, the, <laughs> the chancellor. The chancellor. Well, you had William Schmidt was kind of the chancellor. Right. He, uh, he, he came to Chicago from outside of Hamburg and worked in a huge beer hall, and then came to New York and became the most famous bartender of his day. And his nickname was the only one, right? Yeah, I mean, the only William. Right. Yeah, he was right. the only one you needed to know, right. you know, of bartenders. But so all these guys went through Chicago, but they didn't stay there. The, the It's funny, the iconic, actual iconic Chicago bartender was a guy by the name of Mr. Dooley, and he was fictional because huh. he was invented by uh, Finley Peter Dunn, an Irish-American writer, and Mr. Dooley always spoke in Irish, you know, kind of American dialect. And uh, he supposedly kept a saloon on Archer Road uh, in central Chicago, like West Chicago. It was all Irish at the time. In uh, Finley Peter Dunn's columns, he would always pronounce on the events of the day. And he didn't like cocktails, you know. Right. He liked whiskey and maybe beer. And he, and he says, uh, when my friend Schwarzmeister, the German saloon keeper down the road, Makes a cocktail. It looks like a bile dinner. <laughs> you know, he didn't care for that right. kind of thing. And that was kind of capturing a little bit of, of Chicago. Yeah. Uh, they had famous cocktails in Chicago, a few over the, over the years. Uh, not necessarily the ones we think sometimes. They always claimed the South Side, but that was, in fact, from Long Island. Right. From the South Side Hunt and Fish Club. <laughs> uh, they tried to claim the Presidente, but I'm sorry, that's from Cuba. Right. Uh, the French 75 might be a Chicago drink. Huh. It's uh, early. There's a discussion in a, in a biography of uh, Mrs. Marty Mann, who was the first woman in AA. So not a great recommendation. Right, right. But she recalls drinking them, uh, having a drinking contest against her female friend uh, during Prohibition really early uh, in like 1921. Wow. And that was the drink they were drinking. Uh, you know, basically... A gin Collins with champagne instead right. of instead of soda water, and that if if that was in fact true, that would have put it as the earliest uh, place that drink appeared. But uh, there are a couple 
others. Interestingly enough, the old fashioned very well might be a Chicago drink. That sort of makes sense too, I think, you know, with the obviously, you know, the connection by exactly. waterways to all of the whiskey producers. I mean, we think of whiskey as being something only made in Kentucky, but obviously, you know, places like Ohio and the Midwest, mm-hmm. there are plenty of distilleries back in the day, Cincinnati making bourbon whiskey. So, you know, it's not a far jump to take maybe a little whiskey that's a little rough, add some sugar, Absolutely. bitters, maybe a little water. I mean, that's... You first hear about the uh, old-fashioned in Chicago. It first The first recipe for it is in a Chicago book uh, from eight, 1888. And the, you first hear about it in 1880. Uh, and it kind of fits with Chicago culture because... Uh, at that time in New York, everybody was drinking the Manhattan right. and starting to put liqueur into their cocktails yeah. and drinking vermouth cocktails right. and all this stuff. And and I think Chicago looked at that and said, what? <laughs> you know, no. And, and the same thing with the Pendennis yeah. Club, you know, in, in Louisville mm-hmm. claims that it was, they're the home of the yeah. old fashioned. But also there too, I mean, it sort of makes less sense than, you know, Chicago, I think is maybe yeah. a... You know, is, is the greater claim on it. Yeah, it's the, it was the stripped-down drink, you know. Yeah. It's like, why are you messing with my cocktail? Yeah. Do I want vermouth in my cocktail? <laughs> I want whiskey in my cocktail. It's a whiskey cocktail. And if Keep I must? Vermouth, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little bit of sugar. A little bit of sugar and maybe some bitters. But. And we and we do that for other things, too. Cheap champagne, you know, yeah. people, or, or cheap sparkling wine. Mm-hmm. People like sugar, too. I mean, it's it's definitely one of these things. Where you could see, you know, working, you know, men going into a bar, neighborhood bar, not the best, maybe mm-hmm. liquor, adding a little sugar to it, a little bitter, whatever it is, to make it a little bit more palatable, bring it down, especially with the beer. Yeah, ab- absolutely, and and you know, it's a simple way to make uh, to make something good, and and it was also really old. And Chicago tends to not jump in on new trends. Uh, a little bit, but there were all there. I mean, it's not like there there weren't like fancy bars in Chicago. Chicago, but there was Chicago had a weird kind of thing going on that that's pretty unique to Chicago. There were so many brewers in Chicago that they and they all had tied houses, which is you know bars where uh, they would set the bartender up in business, and the bartender could only sell their beer, and they were all competing with each other. 1885, there was I think. One saloon for every 203 people, which is wow. a lot of saloons in Chicago. That's yeah. a lot of beer houses. So they had to have gimmicks. And Chicago, you know, their drinks weren't fancy, but the bars were fancy. Almost like Vegas, where, like, back, at least back yeah. in the day, where, like, the drinks were free, but you needed something. You needed the exactly. gambling. You, you know, needed something to make the money. It's exactly like that. I mean, there's a, I got a list of some of these places. There's a, on Superior Street, there was Rudolf Voss, you know, a good German name. His, his uh, saloon had... A model coal mine oh and a village God. blacksmith shop, both of them working. So you could go there and get jingled, and then sit there and stare at the uh, at, at right. the model coal mine and, <laughs> and the little you know coal elevator going right. up, to, up to the top and all that. Uh, I mean, I, I spent some of my childhood in Chicago, and the, that was the best part of the Museum of Science and Industry. There was the model coal mine. So you know, there's a long tradition of that. They probably got the idea I, from I bosses. I was going to say that uh... like, we should put this in the museum. Yeah. Uh, but then there was uh, Heister's Fish Camp, which had a pond with live fish in the middle of the floor, wow. where you could you know sit there and stare at fish. And... I'm going to take some of these ideas and open bars like based on them in Williamsburg, and I think we <laughs> I could, think you'd do fine. I think we could make a lot of money. Uh, the Wayside Inn had two thousand. Dollars worth of gold and silver coins Whoa. inlaid in the floor. That's probably like two thousand coins there. Yeah. You know, just yeah. all, all 
carefully uh, set in concrete on the floor. We there. see here too, like at the there's a hotel here in, in right around the corner from that has a floor of pennies. Oh, the nice. Same, same well, one. Well, these yeah. were these were gold and silver yeah. though. <laughs> a little bit different. I like copper. The copper. old uh, the old bills uh, bills gay nineties had the name spelled out in silver dollars. You know my the, oh, one yeah. of the great old New York bars. Uh, sadly, no more. Uh, but there, there's there, one one of these places uh, was above above all the others. This place, Heinega Bublers, and uh, it's, okay, that sounds God like bless a, you. Yeah, yeah, right. It sounds like a crazy German name, and in fact, it was because the owner's real name was Thomas Collier, and he came up with a funny German name for his his bar, and his whole bar was based on practical jokes. This sounds like the worst bar in the world, <laughs> uh, especially if you were on hallucinogenic drugs, which they didn't really do so much then. But it had like a museum, a peep show, an amusement park, early motion pictures there. But it also had practical jokes. So you'd go in and they'd like send you to look at the picture gallery right. upstairs. And you walk up this flight of stairs and there's just a little room with like one little picture on one wall. Right. And you go, picture gallery. And you turn around and you're on the top stairs. And there's a guy watching and he pulls a lever and all the stairs smooth out. And you slide all the way down. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, you know, people... Probably more hilarious to watch than Exactly. To, uh, and, you know, people would break their bones. Uh, this place was really popular. And right. it had branches in all, the, in all like, Rochester, St. Louis, huh. all over. St. Louis, a guy died on the slide. And, oh, my God. Yeah. So not so good. Sort of like the the, the regional TGI mm-hmm. Fridays, almost, of uh Oh, but of even bars. worse, like, you'd, you'd pick up your change from the bartender, and it would he'd put it on a metal uh, plate, and that thing was electrified. So you'd get a shock. <laughs> or uh, the free lunch had, like, rubber beets. Right. <laughs> so you'd be chewing on the beets and, you know. Chewing and chewing. Yeah, and chewing and chewing. Uh, you'd go into the bathroom to wash your hands, and the wash basin would collapse. <laughs> and the whole point was you're supposed to take it all in good stride and laugh. Right. If you complained, they'd throw you out. Right. If you stayed, you could watch the other newbies come in. Uh <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't sound like a fun bar to me, but it was very, you know, yeah. Midwestern in that way. Yeah. It was a hardworking bar, uh, and very, very brawling and, style. And very Midwestern not to complain about such things. Exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. okay, I'm, yeah. I'll just learn not to pick up my change again from the Yeah, exactly. Side. Okay, you get one. You know, that one's on <laughs> me. But then the next time, no. But uh, so uh, Heineken Boobler's was, was like this this really kind of big deal. It was yeah. a it was maybe the most popular bar in Chicago, and I think there was like a whole culture of like you know this bar and the one and the 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 way you were talking about before about sort of the the fake Irish bar and you know you had all of these columns and newspapers mm-hmm. you know whether it's Dinty Moore all this other stuff where people are the sort of humor like kind of old country humor almost where people are making fun of like the Greenhorn and you know the other immigrants yeah. are you know sort of laughing you know at their at their, you know, the new immigrants, uh, you know, even from the yeah, same places. Yeah, I mean, and there were lots of immigrants, yeah. too, you know, in both Detroit, too. I mean, you look at the uh, popular uh, saloons in Detroit in, like, in the early 1900s. There were 1,300 saloons. That's a lot of saloons also. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Detroit wasn't as big as Chicago, but you'd have, like, Luchow's, uh, the Hofbrau House, Fritz Schaefus's Berlin Bar. Or Ducey's Garibaldi Saloon, you know, so the Italians are there too. And you'd have all these bars, you know, that were all very ethnic. There's the Nancy Whiskey, which is still there. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and very cool, a very cool old bar. And, and the names of the neighborhoods too. You have Corktown. Yeah. And you have, you know, Greek Town. And that, exactly. you know, this is, yeah. these were, you know, you would know. I mean, it, I guess it was also helpful if you were an immigrant and mm-hmm. you know where to go. You know go. where you, to go. And, and, and they all, like, you know, there were all these neighborhood bars in these places. 
But, you know, Detroit had its fancy bars, too, like, sure. like Chicago. Uh, I think the fanciest was at the Hotel Train, where Henry Ford used to hang out at the bar, even though he was a teetotaler, because all the other guys, you know, Chrysler stood, stayed there, Walter Chrysler and all these guys would hang out there at the bar. And it got to the point where inventors would bring in pieces of machinery <laughs> to show them to try to see if they could get a contract. It's like something it's like something in Silicon Valley now where you have all these app developers yeah. showing up yeah, with yeah. some vegan here, here look at look at my iPad. You vegan know. macrobiotic, yeah. you know, yoga studio to uh demo uh, that's their right, latest, that's right. Uh, and except there, you know, they'd be drinking uh whiskey cocktails and looking at like a new carburetor design yeah. getting grease all over the floor. <laughs> it must have been challenging for the staff. <laughs> oh, my God. But, uh, you know, pretty exciting. It's hard to imagine how exciting that must have been for, for people and just all the people flooding to Detroit, you know, mm-hmm. with car ideas and all these car co- – I mean, even, you know, in every – all the cities, dozens of oh, car yeah. companies and people who had new ideas, and they're all flooding to Detroit to try to make it big. They're always obviously always in the saloons. And then, you know, Prohibition comes around. And uh, Detroit was – wide open during prohibition uh just like chicago was those you know those cities are both yeah. famous uh, al capone didn't come into detroit cuz detroit had the purple gang who were perfectly tough uh the head of the purple gang got gunned down after prohibition in a cocktail lounge as a matter of fact it isn't the valentine's day massacre like in chicago yeah in chicago that's, that's exactly. the purple gang too that they i can't remember it was a, i think dino banyan's guys versus capone's guys, guys maybe yeah. When I was a kid, I knew somebody in Evanston who had, uh, out right outside of Chicago, who had bricks in their carport from that garage oh. with Tommy gun holes in it. You know, when they tore down the garage, the, the people bought them. Yeah, And they put them amazing. in their carport. Yeah. That was like, ooh, yeah. Yeah. Well, we want that. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll take, take that. that. But, uh, I mean, Prohibition was, was out of control in both of those cities. Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of rumors in Detroit uh, because Detroit is the only major city in America it's all border. Yeah. It's on the Detroit River and across is Windsor, Ontario, where Hiram Walker had the biggest distillery in North America. <laughs> and uh, and there were a lot of other distilleries and breweries there. So they'd put the booze on fast motorboats and try to outrun people. Uh, cars over the ice. Cars uh, over the ice, trucks over the ice, I think people smuggling in their underwear. I know people are still looking uh, in the river to try to find some of the old cars that, you know, fell through the ice with the booze, you know, the the... I know on the Detroit side you can look, but on the Canadian side you're not allowed to look. Oh, that's so God funny. knows what's God knows what's under there because yeah. when they caught boats, they just emptied them overboard. Right. So there, huh. you know, there's those bottles are worth money now yeah. if they're in good Absolutely. condition. Absolutely. That's a cold river. So. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. But, uh, yeah, they, they, there was always a rumor that, uh, you know, in mob circles that there was a some set of beer pipeline or some set of whiskey pipeline under the river. But there wasn't, I think. But what there was, <laughs> they found... A, uh, a cable under the river that they were towing little submarine capsules of booze. Wow. Uh, you know, with a winch, with an electric yeah. winch. And they just, 
fill them up on on one bank and zip them back. over. Yeah, and then uh, like a dumb waiter across yeah, the like river. Yeah, like a dumb waiter across the river. So That's that amazing. that got caught. <laughs> there was there was a lot of booze flowing in. There were like also in Detroit. There was in 1928. The estimates were between 16 and 25 thousand speakeasies because it was just completely wide open. Yeah. The, the city had no interest in enforcement, and you know most of Chicago was the same or big parts of Chicago. And you, I mean, you know, we talked about before the fact that Detroit's this you know has this. Right, you know, has a harbor right on the water. Yeah. It comes like you know the center for distribution of oh, absolutely booze across the Midwest and you know down to New York and I mean, all over. The hard part is getting it out of Detroit. Getting it right. into Detroit is really easy. Right, that's yeah. true. I guess. Yeah. After Prohibition, uh, cocktails started to fade uh, in these cities a little bit. You there before Prohibition, Chicago had a really famous. Uh, Cohasset Punch. It was named after Cohasset, Massachusetts, because uh, Louis Williams was uh, a had his partner Tom Newman at a saloon in the Loop in the theater district in Chicago, and uh, famous actors used to always uh, drop in. And one of them invited uh, Williams to his summer house on in Cohasset in Massachusetts. And there's Williams hanging out with a bunch of New Englanders and. Uh, the New Englanders are saying the best punch in the world is made in right here in New England. This guy gets on the uh, uh, sends a telegram to his partner saying, "Make us some really good punch <laughs> and send it." And the right. next, like two days later, a, a keg arrived, and it's like amazing. And these guys like yeah. took the recipe back and sold it. It was their famous signature drink. They finally, when they retired, they sold the recipe. And there was a Cohasset Punch uh, bar in downtown Chicago up until the '80s. Wow. And uh, it was bottled. It was sold all over. And yeah. it was a simple rum punch. It was like rum and vermouth with lemon. And the secret was a brandied peach, a little slice of brandied peach in there. I assume uh, sweet vermouth? Or, yeah, or, sweet yeah. vermouth, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely a wonderful drink that I wish Chicago would get back to. Yeah. I mean, they've got all the cocktail bars in the world now. Right. Maybe they will. I don't know. It's kind of funny, like, saying that they had the best punch. That was, I mean, that was serious business back in oh, the day. Oh, it was. I mean, it that was. was you know, that's like claiming you have the best barbecue or the best chili today or yeah, best everybody hamburger. drank punch. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, you know. and New England was definitely the home of it. So right. it was kind of it was a kind of a brash Chicago move. <laughs> Say, all right, watch this. We'll see you we'll know. see your punch yeah. more raise here. Yeah. Detroit Detroit had a couple famous drinks too though. Uh the most there was the last word at the Detroit right. Athletic Club, uh, which was either invented by them and passed on to uh, this guy, Frank Fogarty, or invented by Fro- Fogarty uh, and passed on to the athletic club who made it their own. And that was in, like, 1916, right when it opened. And I and, and I imagine our standard recipe today would... Yeah, gin, maraschino, chartreuse, lime juice, equal parts. It sounds like it wouldn't work. It sounds like a car wreck, but it's delicious. You know, it's funny. And, and has come back, I mean, that yeah. in the last couple of years. Yeah, uh, it, was, uh, it was just a Detroit drink before that. Yeah. It was... Uh, you know, the, the Detroit, like Chicago, you had the high and the low. So you had the uh, Detroit Athletic Club, which is still private. Absolutely. And absolutely beautiful. And to kind of uh, raise a finger to them, you had in 1949 uh, the uh, a couple of brothers uh, starting the Lindell Athletic Club in the old Lindell Hotel downtown, which was a dive. And it was the uh, Butzikaris brothers. With a name like that, they're not getting right, into the uh, right. Detroit Athletic Club. Not you know? at that time. A little too ethnic. Yeah. So in the, the beat-up old Lindell Hotel, they start the Lindell Athletic Club. And That's hilarious. It becomes – it's the first sports bar in America. It, beca- right. it is like 
the sports bar. Every athlete who's in town goes there. All the celebrities, they're fighting all the time. Right. Everybody's drunk and macho, and, and it's just like for sports fans, it's the most glorious place in the it's world. It's like the, the proto Toot Shores before uh, yeah. Toot Yeah, I mean, it was really early. You yeah. know, it's, and, and right away it took off. Uh, right. And Unfortunately, you know, when Detroit hit its really hard skid, a lot of these places closed, and that closed in 2002, oh. and then the building was torn down, so there's nothing saved from it. The the other uh, great Detroit bar, the Caucus Club, just reopened. So, uh, and that was the home, I think, of the Bull Shot. As, uh, right. You know, which is uh, which you recently explored in, in a story for the Daily Beast. Yeah, yeah. there was a, it's uh, vodka and consomme and spices. It doesn't <laughs> doesn't sound amazing, but it's actually pretty good. It, I you know I, I I used to drink those yeah, back in the back few. in the eighties you know yeah. that was uh, something very fortifying about drinking yeah. beef broth and yeah. you know uh, yeah and, and you know always drinking vodka yeah. so <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of a it's a it's a funny drink but it was invented because uh, an advertising guy was uh, at uh, the Caucus Club and Lester Gruber the owner who owned the also the world famous London Chop House across the street which has also reopened and is excellent. Uh, Lester Gruber's uh, talking to this guy, Hurley, and Hurley's saying, well, now I've got the Campbell's Soup account, and they want me to sell more consomme. And so what if you put some vodka in it? Done. Huh. Yeah. And uh, by, like, 1956, it starts spreading. And I don't think Campbell's ever used it, though. Right. Because, you know, they're They're a family company. They just cashed in. Yeah. yeah. They just let everybody else talk about it. They didn't advertise it. Just the the pickleback of its time. Yeah, it was. It was. And it it became like a celebrity drink. Yeah. It was the kind of thing if you were an upcoming, uh, uh, an up and coming young uh, starlet, you would order in a bar and everybody would go, What's that? Right. Mission accomplished. You know, everybody's paying attention to you. I think the first time I ever heard, I think Dale DeGroff uh, mentioned it once to me a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. That was the first time I had heard about the bullshot. And it seemed, it seemed like a crazy idea. Yeah. But, um, then you have one, and it definitely works. Well, I remember uh, some of my parents' friends drinking them in the 70s in Chicago, uh, and I just thought that was a really weird thing. This guy's <laughs> pouring what into what now and then shaking it up with ice? Right. That doesn't make sense at all. But You don't often see. Well, I mean, but again, Midwesterners love, you know, hot dish. You know, yeah, there's all of this yeah. use of soups and casseroles, and, you know, we're, I think we're just fortunate that the bullshot was in a cream soup like yeah. uh, like most <laughs> mushroom of the, cream like yeah. most of the yeah. most of the midwestern dishes that call for soup you know it's yeah the, oh, it's that's the, true but you know I, I got a soft spot for that I don't think anybody's actually done um, like a bullshot menu where they use different types of broth right I mean you could do well, uh, I mean it's so adapted to the modern world right I mean with bone broth you know bone broth fish broth you yeah. could do a vegan broth you yep. could you could do partnerships with all types of restaurants you get mm-hmm. like a Spicy ramen broth, uh, miso broth. You, you can know. throw some rum in there instead right. of the I'm, I, I'm just saying, I, I'm, I, I'm, we, this podcast may start a whole new trend of soup-based cocktails. We'll <laughs> see bartenders. Yeah, yeah. You know. Oh, they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna be pretty upset about that because you know it's just harder to clean your bar gear. Right. So <laughs> then, then it's gonna lead to like martinis tasting fishy and. Uh, you know, it's you gonna know, be. It'll be awesome. Fish, fishball martini. Yeah. Why not? It'll be awesome. Well, it's it's a funny. I mean, it's. It, I think it's interesting too that, uh, you know, as as we get into this modern, our our new sort of modern era of of cocktails and mm-hmm. mixology, that the people are drawing on these things. Maybe not yet the bull shot, but obviously the last word. You know, these things have a way of 
popping up maybe in other cities. Um, and, and yeah, absolutely. And and with with Detroit kind of coming back, you're seeing like them now. Now there's at least six or eight like world class cocktail absolutely. bars yeah. there. You know, probably maybe maybe more. Yeah. But there there's there's a, a significant number. Like yeah. bang here 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 yeah. and uh, and. Uh, those help to build a neighborhood these days. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Those, those attract people to downtown. Yeah. Well, you want to live where the bar, the good bars are, right? I mean, you yeah. want to drive home. So. Well, it's part of it's part of restaurant yeah. culture. You know, yeah. yeah. You live downtown. You need you need your cocktail bars. You need your your sociable restaurants. You need all you need all I'm this just, stuff now. I mean, I, it may be it may not be the popular thing to say, but I think that Friends maybe started this kind of idea <laughs> that you have all these kids who grew up watching Friends. Yeah, and it's like they hey, all want to live in a loft and they all want to go downstairs to a restaurant or a bar or How I Met Your Mother, whatever these mm-hmm. shows are that are, none of them were actually made here, but they were supposedly about New York and you get this kind of fake lifestyle that then becomes the real lifestyle when, when these People get old enough. You know, I never, I never thought about friends in that context. I yeah, think, I, mean, I think that, you're kind of onto something. I, I don't know. I'm well, just, yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's culture, and, and it's yeah. it's we're certainly seeing like, like you you, I I would go to Detroit like maybe three or four years ago, and it was there were signs of life. There were yeah. some new bars. There were some new restaurants, but it was still pretty grim. Yeah, you know, there were a lot of windows out downtown, yeah. a lot of abandoned buildings, and you go, I go there now, and. Almost all of those buildings are full. There's new construction everywhere. New drywall. There's a, a huge branch of a Punchbowl Tavern from, or no, Punchbowl Social, I think, from Denver, which is a huge place that has bowls of punch and bowling alleys and uh, all this Great. stuff for yeah. kind of millennials to, to party in large John groups. John Barvado store. I think Shinola's yep. building a hotel. Yep, yep. You have Shake Shack just opened up a branch. So uh, Yeah, and it's all, and it all just, uh, before it looked like, you know, kind of outposts in the wilderness, but yeah. now it's like, okay, this is actually all woven together yeah. pretty quick. Yeah, and uh, and you know, Chicago, Chicago has had hard times, but Chicago, Chicago, yeah, and it didn't, it didn't have the same collapse that Detroit did, but it didn't really have much of a cocktail culture until uh, they were late, late to the yeah. uh, to the cocktail revival because you know it seemed kind of silly, I guess, in New Yorky or something. Yeah. But now that they've adopted it, you've got some of the best bars in the country in yeah, Chicago. Great bars, yeah, and, and not just. I mean, for so long it was just one or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, Toby's Bar uh, was it, uh, uh, the Violet the, Hour. Uh, was you know, and now it, now there are so many more that uh, you know it take several nights to cover them oh, all. Yeah. And it's funny, like tiki bars are popular in Chicago, which kind of goes back to those theme bars. Uh, tiki bars in New York have never really caught on because. Right. Uh, New Yorkers uh, tend to we, we we tend to put our noses up in the air and think we're a little too sophisticated what, what it, for such stuff. I think the last Trader Vix was in the plaza, right? Yeah, and, and, that, and, and Donald Trump closed it because he called that too tacky. Yeah, from what I remember. <laughs> I know. So that was I mean, <laughs> I used to go there with my right. dad. I liked that place. Pot calling the kettle black, maybe. Yeah, but um, I know. Yeah, you're right. At Lost Lake, some of these at three dots mm-hmm. and a dash. You mm-hmm. have this real. Maybe the the winters in Chicago are so brutal that people want to uh, embrace, you know, the escape for at least an evening uh, to the South Seas or some Polynesian island. It's a different culture, but there's still, you know, there are lots of uh, Chicago has so many neighborhoods that you see like yeah. these cocktail bars just kind of moving out and out and out uh, from from downtown, and uh, maybe you know there's less of them downtown and more in the uh, in the neighborhoods to the yeah. north and to the west. 
Well, I mean, it, was, it was such a great, I mean, for a year, while there might not have been cocktail bars, there were definitely great sports bars, Irish bars, mm-hmm. you know, beer and, you know, local bars. Oh, like, famous saloons. And, yeah, yeah. I mean, it definitely had it, it went in its own way that was very Chicago beer halls, you know, that were very, you know, it's basically, it would play a, a montage of Ferris Bueller scenes. Oh, um, yeah. Or, uh, and there's also, there were also just a shocking number of great neighborhood bars. Yeah. And unfortunately, some of those have been closing, but yeah. you still find them. One of my favorite whiskey bars in America is there, the uh, uh, Delilah's, which is oh, sure. just a divey rock and roll bar. Uh, I, I, w- I was there a few weeks ago. They were playing uh, on the TV uh, Rock and Roll High School, the Ramones movie, <laughs> you know, in its entirety. Right. And, yeah, of course, of course. Of they. course. You know, it's like, but, okay. But it just happens to have an amazing whiskey collection. You yeah, know that. yeah. And, and some real good beer. Yeah. And uh, but not oh, pretentious, you know. That's it's, all you want, right? Yeah. Ramones on the TV, mm-hmm. good whiskey in your glass, mm-hmm. cold beer. You know, obviously we talked about Jerry Thomas and some of these things in the past, and some of the old bars definitely had that, you know, less stuffy aesthetic. You know, that were they were fun. Oh, absolutely. That, you know, I mean, Jerry Thomas had a shooting gallery in his basement. Right. You know, you just have to remember that. <laughs> so, a white rat running around his yeah, shoulders, and yeah. uh, you know. But I mean, you know, he he wouldn't like flip a switch and send you falling down the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. Not, not, not yeah. uh, Maybe well, in his lost second book, there's a yeah. whole section devoted to uh, slapstick and pranks to pull on. Uh, I would laugh if somebody revived Heinegger Bublers. <laughs> Although you'd have to sign so many waivers to right. get in. That's true. true. It's a funny idea. But, I, you know, I, I think maybe we will see some of these some of these elements. I mean, we already like mm-hmm. the, the bowling alley kind of thing coming back with punch and some of this other stuff. Maybe we'll, you know, as as, as better drinks sort of uh, penetrate all types of bars and, and yeah. entertainment. And I, th- I think there's more of a national conversation now. It's yeah. not like New York and San Francisco yeah. uh, yelling at each other or, or ignoring yeah. each other and, you know, the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a little more – it used to be like – Boston, New York, and D.C. versus Seattle, Portland, and San Francisco, and that was the conversation, and and it got a little sterile. I think I think we're starting to see uh, cocktail bars in general uh, roll it back a little bit, yeah. and get a little simpler because uh, people aren't necessarily so impressed by the very fact that you have cocktails. Right now, you have or to suspenders. Deli- yeah, or suspenders. Exactly. Now you've got to deliver good service, yeah. and you know. Maybe you have a little bit of fun in your bar. Yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. Even if it's just wisecracking bartenders. Yeah. And it's not, I mean, I think the places like Chicago, Detroit, uh, Minneapolis, they've taken this and sort of draw, you know, they draw on their own history and it's kind of give this modern era their own kind of twist. Whatever, oh, absolutely. You know, and that's, and that's Certainly the best bars in each are, are, are doing that. Yeah. I mean, that's what makes it fun for us to go around. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, we'd never leave New York. And then, you know, when you leave the cocktail bar, you can always go around the corner. Like uh, in Detroit, you've got the amazing Old Miami uh, Dive, which sure. is uh, uh, one of the great rock and roll bars in the country and also one of the great veterans bars with a, an insane amount of armament hanging from the <laughs> ceiling, like like heavy ordnance. Right. You know? And then uh, around the corner from that is the Bronx Bar that has two jukeboxes next to each other for the dual jukebox effect. <laughs> uh, you've got you've got all all these kinds of uh, fun things that that are still like very regional and uh, have their own culture and their own yeah. uh, I don't know their own part- particular sense of fun and kind of draw on Detroit's you yeah. know history of you know Iggy Pop and all these mm-hmm. other bands uh, 
coming out of and rockers coming out oh, of the motor on. city yeah, and motown so. and Mo- you know absolutely. marvin gay and yeah and 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 funkadelic and yeah, all this absolutely. stuff i mean it's just huge eminem i mean this yeah. is where these yeah. things yeah. you know sort of combine massive and, you know music city and yeah. uh, chicago of course also absolutely and then you know you get like milwaukee's another great city we haven't talked about really that's got great local culture plus modern cocktail yeah. bars and uh uh, big German culture. I, I was uh, in in this great German bar where they have a uh, their bar game is there's a metal there's a wooden stump of a tree, and uh, you get a metal mallet and a nail that you got to get the nails from the bar, and whoever can drive that nail into the stump with the fewest hits uh, <laughs> wins, and whoever's the most hits has to get the round. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's a very German game. Yeah, it's, you know. Probably, probably, yeah. I'd stay back, uh, you know. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, it's a little dangerous to have drunks, like, wanging on things right. with hammers. But, hammers you know, flying through the air. Is yeah, a... well, the hammer's chained up. Right. So oh, that, it, that helps. Yeah, but it also makes it harder to get the nail right. in. Right, so Part of, uh, you know, Milwaukee's uh, German heritage. It's, it's just fun. It's a German <laughs> game. Well, I, I think that, that wraps up uh, another episode of uh, Life Behind Bars, uh, the Daily Beast podcast. Look forward to, to future episodes about the bars and bartenders who changed how we drink. Cheers. Cheers. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 